Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors, parenting experts like today, and moms around the world. Okay, everybody, so we are speaking about transformation. Uh, we all know this, but I'll say it again. We are not who we think we are, and we're not who we thought we might be someday. Today, we're talking about coming to terms with who we actually are. Last night, I started thinking about how much my four-year-old, she just loves getting in my makeup drawer and like slathering on all my makeup and transforming herself into this like fantasy character of who she thinks she wants to be. And at the same time, she's taking these hints from watching me, right? So like she'll put the lipstick on trying to look like me, but then she'll get out the blue eyeshadow, which is almost like in defiance of me. because she knows that I don't want her to go to a birthday party wearing the blue eyeshadow. And I can just imagine her, you know, someday on that threshold of motherhood, you know, figuring out what kind of mother does she want to embody, what parts will reflect, reflect her own mother, and what's uniquely her own, and what will she try on in defiance of the way she was raised. So what fascinates me most about our transformation as mothers is how it's this dance between us and our partners and us and each individual child. It's like I'm dancing the foxtrot with my four-year-old and the waltz with my six-month-old. I'm the same person, but my partners require different tempos. And I also have the ghost of my own living mother standing behind me as I waltz. And her mother and her mother, not her mother's mother, my great-grandmother's mother, She sent her away to live with her aunt. She's not dancing with us. But I can almost feel the ache going all the way back in her absence, all the way down this transgenerational Congo line. And each of them is telling me to straighten up. Don't dance too close to my little one. We don't want to spoil her. And I also don't want to smother her and try to make her fill the holes within me. There are way fewer holes than when her older sister was born. And my husband tries to cut in on the waltz or the foxtrot, and sometimes I let him. And then sometimes he's cutting in to dance with them and not me, and then my feelings get hurt. Not that I had the energy anyways. But today, our guest is Dr. Britta Bushnell. We're talking about being transformed by motherhood and all the roles we play. And she is a celebrated speaker, a veteran childbirth educator, an expert in guiding audiences to revolutionary new approaches to childbirth, relationship, and parenting. Utilizing the timeless disciplines of cultural mythology and ritual preparation, Britta challenges unseen reconceptions and helps audiences cultivate new ways to approach life's most important transitions. So we're talking about the identity shift and transformation of motherhood, including adoptive mothers and those who have suffered pregnancy loss. We're talking about preparing for birth and cesarean healing. God, that's something that keeps coming up and like no one has been able to help mothers on our show about this yet, so I'm so excited. We're also talking about renewing and deepening intimacy with our partners because a lot of moms out there are just so pissed off at their partners. <laughs> There's so much to cover. And we've got mamas listening at all stages of motherhood. So uh, we're just going to jump in and hit a bunch of different topics because I want everyone who listens to like get something out of it, right? Because I could spend a whole hour on my birth. 
I've done that. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to try to tackle a lot of different topics. And I just want to say, Britta, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. And it's fun to be in person rather than on the phone or I something, know. you know. This is great. Yeah. And i got to give a shout out to my girlfriend, Nicole Montez. She recommended you to me. And, you know, if Nicole said to jump off a bridge, I'd do it. She's just one of <laughs> – she, she is. She's the person that I think – if she didn't send me anything about you and she was like, you need to talk to this person on the podcast, I'd be like, yes, of course, Nicole. Like, there's no follow-up needed with Nicole Montez. I know. She's fantastic. She's She's, she's somebody very near and dear to my heart. So it was a, it was a mutual exchange and setup. So it, I'm happy for our blind date here today. Yes, me too. Uh, and Nicole also is one of those friends who where she doesn't have children of her own and she has always taken – to my children as, you know, she's an aunt. Like her energy is so motherly and warm. Oh, oh, now I got to call her. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. Let's just jump into this whole identity crisis thing. Yeah. Because obviously what the crazy ass thing I was just reading about, like the waltz and da, 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 like just, I feel like I'm 20 different faces. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things, one of the things that I feel like nobody talks about when you're pregnant or or trying to conceive or in the process of adoption or whatever or surrogacy whatever journey a a person takes to parenthood people don't talk about how much you're changed how much the process of getting there changes you how much it shifts your identity how many different threads of self you are and i one of the things um a lot of my research is in rites of passage and ritual preparation and these sorts of things. And one of the the theories around rites of passage, when one of the theorists who addresses rites of passage theory from a female perspective, looking at rites of passage given to young women heading into adulthood, um, Bruce Lincoln, he looks at them and he says there's three stages. There's uh, the enclosure there's the metamorphosis, and then there's uh, emergence. So if you think about it, it's a little bit like the journey of a caterpillar into a butterfly. But we tend to talk about the first part, like, oh, we're just going to go in and we're going to get that baby one way or another, and then we're going to come out a butterfly on the other side. And we don't talk about that middle part. We don't talk about that metamorphosis, that transformation, that part of us that actually is like what happens in a cocoon, where the caterpillar builds a cocoon around itself, and it doesn't pop out with wings. You know, it doesn't just Disney-style come out, woohoo, look, now I have wings. Are you telling me that I can't just eat a bunch of pies and lollipops? And everything in the hungry, I know, right? With the very then... hungry caterpillar, right? <laughs> no, there's this part that happens inside the cocoon that even that book doesn't really talk about. No, it jumps over it. Yeah, right. It's all this preparation. Then you go into the cocoon, and then oh, look, you pop out, and you're a butterfly. But the transition into parenthood is what happens in the cocoon, and it's a dissolving. It's a metamorphosis. And one of the stages of metamorphosis is dissolving, becoming goo. Now, as parents, I mean, we all know ways that we've become goo. 
parts of us. Now, it's like their cells are the same. Like the cells aren't gone, but the shape and the form and the structure becomes this gooey process of of disillusionment. And then it rebuilds, and it rebuilds slowly. And we don't like to talk about that part. Well, let's talk about it then. Yes, let's, let's lean do. in and talk let's about it. Let's talk about the goo. <laughs> let's go into the goo. Let's well, it's, goo. it's like you can't skip the middle. You know, right. uh, Brene Brown talks about you can't skip the messy middle. And yeah, this, that's this, a is, bummer. this is bummer. I just I really, know. I just want to gorge myself into beauty, just like that damn book. Right. And you just want to suddenly be transformed yes. into the parent butterfly that yeah. just knows how to do it and is able to juggle passions in life and a relationship with your partner and have a great body and all of these pieces when, in fact, it's a slow rebuilding process. And I sometimes like to use the metaphor of weaving. And I think that we we head into this process of transformation and we have this particular color thread of who we knew ourselves to be, right? We're like, oh, I'm red. I'm this this particular texture and color or my career is this other one. Mm-hmm. And we go into early parenthood and suddenly we're weaving with colors we've never seen before. We're like, what? Wait, what is this? Where's Where's red? Where's who I was? Where's the color of my career? Where's the color of my relationship to my body? And we have to slowly weave those threads back in. But initially, our weaving in early parenthood is deeply influenced by the colors of our baby and that experience. So I'll probably flip back to that uh, piece at some point. But I love that. Well, I also I love the idea of the weaving because it's this tapestry that's with us like it's it's always present my question with the butterfly metaphor is like i feel like there's parts of me that are the beautiful butterfly and then parts of me that are the goo and it's like constantly changing because my question would be where when do we get to emerge as the butterfly i feel like that would take until my kid's 18 and then i get to be the butterfly like right when i become an empty nester and then that's a whole other goo Right. (laughs) It is. It is. I mean, my children are almost 18 and 15. So I'm at that other edge where empty nest is sort of on the cusp of where Mm -hmm. my life is heading. My my oldest is applying to college. Oh, like that's a whole other story. But yeah, that that piece of when do you feel like your wings are fully formed? I think and it's it's different. Like I don't feel currently like my wings are still forming. I think there is a period of time when you do finally arrive at, okay, I am a butterfly. Like I am a parent. That doesn't mean that you aren't going to get your wings wet when it rains. Right. And have a hard time flying. Like when you have your second baby or third baby or well, fourth baby. Well, that's when you, you re-enter the cocoon. Let's be yeah. serious. You okay, go fine. back into the cocoon. <laughs> <laughs> that's its own thing. But each time, I mean, you, you but, but there does come a point, and often the second baby tends to show up right after you've got those wings yes. out, and you're like, oh, I kind of get these wings. Like, all right. Totally. Let me, let me go fly. And then you go, 
oh, wait, now I'm pregnant again or now I'm no, having another I found baby? Out it was because it was the – we started getting the New York Times on Sundays and I was like, oh, that's my wings, right? Because you you're got like, your wings. I got my wings. Like yeah. if you have time to read the New York Times on <laughs> Even Sunday, if it's only Sunday, right? Yeah, I mean it would take me the whole week to read the Sunday Times. But of that's course. like a huge paper, right? It's a huge paper. That was the signal. Yeah. Time for another baby. Time to go back in the cocoon. Yeah. Yeah, and and I do think there is this time when we come out and we go, oh, I do know I have wings. Mm. And it's different for different Mm -hmm. parents, for different individuals. I think for some, it happens, you know, around a year. I think that's on the early side. None of this six-week postpartum checkup that our culture Mm -hmm. says is the milestone that says you're back to normal, quote-unquote, back to normal. Or when everyone's expected to go back to work. Or three months or, you know. And and I don't think any of those are really an accurate statement. I think it's that moment when you go, oh, I'm out. I mean, one of the examples for me would be I'm out in public. I've forgotten the diaper bag. I have a toddler who has an accident and I figure out how to use those paper towels in the bathroom to clean up a mess and feel like superwoman leaving oh, yeah. the bathroom, even if I've got poop on me. Oh, yeah. You know, those moments where you go, <laughs> now, that doesn't exactly sound like beautiful butterfly wings. Well, no, but it's I, that I've got it. Those moments where it's like, I know that my identity has changed and I have taken on <laughs> sort of the mask of motherhood yes. that says, you throw it at me, I'll figure it out. I, it right. may not look pretty. It may not look put together. It may not be, you know, designed perfectly. But I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to be resilient through the process. I think that part of the process of earning our wings is developing some of that resiliency. When you talk about masks, mm-hmm. like let's let's throw some out there. So I've got the the motherhood mask of what I feel like is expected of me by society and by Instagram moms and that whole deal, right? Then there's the mask of what I was kind of trying to allude to at the beginning about what does motherhood look like to the generations before me and how did they mother? Or like sometimes I'll get a look on my face and it's like, oh, that's my mom. When I'm like mad, or or I'll get my dad's mother's look, like this judgmental, like it's like it's like oh, there's like, grandma, yeah. And then there's, I feel like there's this mask of that's my favorite mask is like this reflection of my baby back at me, if that makes any sense at all. And sure. I get that she's mirroring me, but I feel like when I'm mirroring her, that's the sweet spot. I'm making all this up on the fly. Talk to us about masks. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, masks are a tricky one because I do think there's masks that, you know, we take on and off um, and and they have an idea of falsity. Like they Mm -hmm. make it sound like what's true is what's beneath. But there's also a way of, of seeing them as costumes of roles. And and we have different roles. We have different ways of of engaging that happen in different moments. And yeah, we have the the mask that was passed down to us from generations. You know what you shared at the very beginning these these different ideas about parenthood that have been passed down generation to generation to generation, and we can end up putting that on 
which is fine. It's it's just good to know that you've done it. Mm-hmm. It's that awareness of, oh, is this mine? Is this my mask? Like, like, do I want to have this particular mask on right now? And can I choose to take that one off or even to to be able to look in the mirror when we put on a mask and go, oh, I think that actually belong, belongs to my mother-in-law. Like, that doesn't belong to me. And to, to take notice of that and to be able to flow more easily through the various different parts of us that show up, be it masks, costumes, whatever we talk about. And to just to take notice, to know what which one we're wearing in a given moment and to also know which ones give us really a sense of of comfort, of meaning, of of value in our lives in any given moment. All those kinds of things. I don't know if I'm making sense in this moment, but absolutely, that's just a a quick response. So now let's jump into childbirth. You know, because this okay. is a problem, right? This this podcast should really be a whole series with you, and instead, it's like this really shallow survey. <laughs> Join me on this shallow ride, everybody. Uh, We'll make it as deep as possible. I'm I'm holding my iced coffee. (laughs) And I started off the podcast by asking about the Sex and the City author. Okay. (laughs) So, childbirth. Yes. What do you want to know? Everything. Okay. My first baby. Both were unmedicated. Two different doulas. First one was born... After, you know, my water broke early in the morning, then I got to the hospital around noon, and then she was born at 9 p.m. sharp, and I had hypnobirthing playing the whole time. I was in the tub. It was excruciating, um, but it felt manageable, and it was a very empowering experience. Second birth was like four hours in like a freight train. And there was, like, throwing up. My doula was amazing and really felt like a a really strong support system for me. But that one was so intense. And I, and I shared that birth story, Eliza's birth story, on the podcast. And I actually revisited it with a psychologist, uh, Dr. Barry Michaels, because – Something happened at the end that felt like I, my power was taken away where all these doctors came in to watch and I didn't want them there and they didn't listen. I had such different experiences and I know every birth is totally different. If I had that second birth first, I don't know if I would have done another unmedicated birth. I want to talk about like the ugliness for a minute and the darkness because I had spent years talking about my empowered birth story and not in a I've always been very conscious of other mothers experiences and I've never been someone thank god I mean that's probably why I'm able to have a podcast like mothers don't mind listening to me because I'm not like well you should have this type of birth right and I've always talked about shaking off expectations this one with Eliza was so close to death for me it was so intense that you almost feel like you're touching the other side, if that makes sense. So what do you say to first-time moms or even second-time moms that have about that, the darkness and sort of embracing the lack of control and, like, give me a pep talk here because that was so trippy. I mean, it's like going to another dimension. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, well, I think it often is going to another dimension. I mean, I think that's one of the things that happens in in becoming a parent. And I think it happens for some in a fertility journey. Mm-hmm. I think for others, it happens during a, uh, an adoption period or a surrogacy. And then for others, it happens in pregnancy or in labor or in a pregnancy loss. There's lots of different ways that we face darkness. And I almost think it's a necessary part of the process of that transformation that we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. is that that uh, little bit of death inside us, a symbolic death, a death of expectations, a death of ideals, of what we what we think, um, uh, often, and what I really mean by expectations, expectations of ourself, expectations of how we would handle something or what we would do, um, how we would rise to the occasion. Often, those are the dark moments. Is actually when we are struggling with our own our own reaction or lack of reaction to whatever it is that's happening. That that's what sticks with us. And, you know, feeling that place of, you know, could I have said more? Could I have done whatever that is? You are giving me so many chills. Because when you just said the lack of reaction and could have I done more, like it just brings up all the whole like Me Too movement, right? And how that's so much a part of our collective psyche right now. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And that part that we replay, and we do that with our birth stories too, we replay the why didn't I? Why didn't I do X, Y, Z? Why didn't I? Um, And then often spins into a story that has something like, I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad mom because I didn't do this or I didn't do that. And Often it's just a reaction that happens in the fight, flight, freeze response. And we can't have done any, we couldn't have done anything different in that moment. And so in going into the dark, it's like, I think we need to be preparing parents for that place of being in the darkness, being in that place of deep transformation, deep challenge, uh, some kind of personal or metaphoric death of of those ideas of of the image that we have held often the image is the image of the birth you know and mm. sometimes with second time parents they go in thinking that the they've had an experience of labor of birth and therefore they know it mm-hmm. but they've had one experience Similar to birth professionals who have seen, you know, hundreds if not thousands of births and they go into their birth thinking that they know what will happen when they don't because each and every experience is unique, every single one of them. And so a second time parent heading in is has both the uh, good fortune of having been through an experience before and the liability of having had mm-hmm. that experience. So they think, oh, it's going to be like it was, or I know myself because I've already had that experience, when in fact it's quite the undoing. It's like, no, this is a different child. This is a different birth experience. And I am one that 
sort of has a belief that our our births and our our journey into parenthood teaches us something we need to know to parent that child. So funny. I was just when you were saying that I was like I wonder what Eliza's lesson was. Right. Her lesson or your lesson right. to to well, her lesson her. to me yeah. but, or right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I have two children and their births were wildly different and in you know you can't look at it six hours after birth and say, oh, this is this was the lesson that I got from that. But on the verge of having an 18-year-old, I can look back and go, oh, that was some of what I needed to learn from that birth. Do you mind sharing a little bit of that? Yeah. I mean, I don't talk publicly about my birth experiences mm-hmm. for a couple of different reasons, but I will share just a tidbit that my older son had some really difficult moments breathing right when he came out. Like, significant non-breathing for on his own for like 15, 20 minutes. So he had oxygen and some other things happening. And which which sounds like it would be incredibly traumatic. Right. That would be the the trauma moment. But I was so deep in the process of feeling like I had just survived. Right. I he came out. I've been through this whole labor experience. Oh, my God, he's alive. I'm alive. This is, that's it. Let's just mm-hmm. focus on coming back into my body. And somebody very well-meaning in the room said, touch your baby. Touch your baby. He needs to know you're there, which is is my moment of birth trauma in, in that experience because that's the voice that came in and said, I'm not being a good mom. And when I, when I look at that and I think about, okay, why did my son, you know, what did I learn about my child, about my experience, about who he is? That particular child of mine has a chronic health condition that needs lots and lots of attention. Um, Not so much now. He has type 1 diabetes, and he's completely self-sufficient with that now. But it was a long journey when he was a little little kid, where it was just 24-7 being an external pancreas for him. Mm. And his birth experience, where it took him a while to arrive on the planet, and it took a while for me to arrive on the planet with him, has a lot to teach the two of us about what we needed to know to get through and navigate his health condition that showed up years later, but is influenced in some ways by how our first initial moments were together in the the moment of his birth and my arrival back on the planet to be there with him. As a doula, you know, I'm sure you can't speak about your mothers, but let's say in my Ellie's make-believe world, there's a mother who's going through something like that. What would have you said to her in order to connect with her child, or would you just let her take her time? Well, let me. Um, one of the things that I didn't know when I was having my child, uh, my firstborn, but knew subsequently, is some some mythology that helps to connect. So I, I'm a mythologist. I have a PhD in mythology. And so that's definitely something that is a place of passion for me. And I think there is something very powerful about storytelling. 
and not storytelling in the let's pass around our birth stories in this very, you know, here, let me hand you mine and let yours. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why I don't do a play by play of mm-hmm. my my birth. It's like because that feels kind of sacred. Mm-hmm. But to talk about more of an archetypal journey and the the story that I was taught by my mentor at Birthing from Within, Pam England, is the story of Inanna's descent. And I use that story as part of the preparation for giving birth. And it can also work for not birth related, but any kind of transformative journey. And I'll tell you a story. I had a, a mother, that, a couple that took my class, my childbirth prep class, a while ago. And they were planning a home birth and they had, you know, all of these plans and they were super ready and excited to face the ordeal of the intensity. Yes. Like that part, like they had planned the for the intensity, like that was what I was going to do. Because in rites of passage, there is a piece that's the ordeal. Like, how are you going to face the mm-hmm. ordeal? What we forget is like don't, the fun and games part of it all. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not as into the ordeal part. <laughs> I'm also know. into the, wait, what's it, the Joseph Campbell where it's like the refusal of, of the, the call? call? Yes. Yeah. I, I spend a lot of time in the refusal right. of the call. Anyway, continue. Absolutely. And we tend to like to say, oh, I'm going to sign up for this ordeal. Yes. As if, yes. as if it's a yes. menu. Right. And you get to pick. <laughs> you don't get to pick. No. And so this. Oh, my God, no. No, you don't get to pick. I didn't pick type 1 diabetes as part of my my parenting no. ordeal no. at all. And yet I am grateful for the experience and what it taught us at this point. Mm-hmm. Am I ready for a cure? Absolutely. Yeah. But but I but I'm grateful I wouldn't go back and undo it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. But this this couple, let me get back to this story. This couple had planned for this home birth and they had selected their ordeal, right? This is what it was yeah. going to be the intensity and they were prepped for it and they were ready for all of that and they and they seemed like they really had him had that embraced and then they found out they had placenta previa which is where the placenta covers the cervix and you can't give birth vaginally with the placenta first it doesn't work it ends very very poorly it's one of the universally agreed upon ways, reasons to have a cesarean. And so here is this very naturally minded couple who was ready to birth through the ordeal of the in- physical intensity right. at home in the right. tub, who had to re-envision the ordeal yes. that their rite of passage. And they they used the story of Inanna, the stripping away of her. She's, so tell us she's that a story. goddess. Okay. okay. Let's start with goddess, people. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in. I'm all in, in now. You're all in you said with goddess. The goddess. I'm, I'm okay. totally in. Woo, I hooked you on goddess. Okay, we should have started there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, she is a Sumerian goddess. Uh, so really ancient, really, really ancient. You know, you may remember back to like the uh, teenage years of learning about the Fertile Crescent, you know, no. the Tigris and the Euphrates and the Fiat Fertile. No. no. Okay, well— it comes from the place of um, – from the Sumerian people, and she was goddess of heaven and earth. And I'm going to do the abbreviated version because I dress that. up in costumes. Really? And I do a whole thing when I teach it in my class. Oh, my God. Yeah. Do and I it to takes a long to time to tell the story. Okay. So, And I tell yes. it across two different classes. So the very oh quick I version. must be killing you with this podcast. <laughs> 
There's no costumes. Oh, I no love masks. I know. Anyway. Masks and costumes. So Inanna is queen of heaven and earth. Okay. And she gets a call, speaking of calls, uh, to visit her sister in the underworld. And at first mm. she kind of ignores it. Yeah. And then eventually she says, all right, I'm going to go. And her sister in the underworld, you could say, is kind of representative of the unconscious, of those things we don't yet know about ourselves. Like, okay, I don't know that I want to go down and find out what's in there. Yeah. Right? And so she gets ready and she puts on all this stuff, you know, as if she's getting ready for this big event. She has her crown, her necklace, her cloak, her breastplate, uh, her measuring rod. She has all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And she starts to head down to the underworld. And there's gates. And she gets stopped at the gates. And the guard of the underworld says, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, you can't come in here. You have to – I'm going to have to take something of value from you in order for you to pass. And so he takes the crown at one gate. He takes the beads at another. And he goes down. She goes down through the underworld. And it's getting harder and harder and harder because – Stripping away. It's stripping away of different types of identity, different beliefs about what she thinks she'll need. Right. Because each item she put with her – on her, she believed she would need on this journey. Now I'm thinking I need a breastplate. Yeah, right. Well, breastplates are interesting, right? Because what are they placed to protect? My heart. The heart. And yet, (laughs) but in reality, the breastplate does get stripped in the journey to parenthood. We can feel very deeply after we become a parent. Things touch us deeply. And when we strip that breastplate away, without it, we're vulnerable. It's a kind of armor to have that. And when we become a parent, it's harder to be armored, much harder to be armored, right? So all of these things get stripped away till she enters the throne room humbled, bare, raw. Somehow she had to keep going even though the things were taken away from her because there was no other option. She can't turn around and go back up the other way because those gates close behind her. And when she enters the throne room, there is her sister. And because of some stuff that has gone on between them, and she's the goddess of the underworld, she kills Inanna and hangs her on a hook. I know. And and it's a powerful, I know. (laughs) But it's a powerful metaphoric story for the journey. There's more. There's a second half. There's she's a hanging second on half. a hook. She's I'm never taking my breastplate off if I ever get one. <laughs> she's hanging on a hook. And and yet she's, you know, the process has been sort of a stripping away and a, an arriving at, at rawness, at being who you are without all of those pieces of identity. Because at each gate, the gatekeeper says, who are you? And she starts off and she's like, I'm Inanna, queen of heaven and earth. And then she's like, okay, well, I thought I was queen of heaven and earth. And and she keeps getting asked, keeps getting asked, keeps getting asked until finally she's like, I'm nothing. This is, I'm just this. And he's like, yeah, that's right. And so she comes in, she gets hung on the hook, but she had a good friend who had watched, who, who had helped her get ready. And she was concerned about her. And she said, Inanna, don't go. Do you know what happens if you go to the underworld? You know, and all of us have friends um, or voices who are concerned about us. Mm -hmm. And they say, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you want to go 
down that path. And it can show up in different ways. Like, are you sure you want to birth at that hospital? Are you sure you want to, you know, have a home birth? Have you really thought about that? But Inanna uses that concern to say, watch out for me. Watch for me to return. Watch for me to come back. And if I haven't, go get help. And so three days pass, and Inanna hasn't returned. And so this dear friend, whose name is Ninjaber, just to add another fun you know, name in here. So Ninjaber notices Inanna's not come back. And so she does what Inanna has told her to do, and she gets the community aware of the fact that Inanna hasn't returned. Now think about this in terms of postpartum, how valuable it is to have people watching to make sure you don't get stuck. Right, you don't get stuck down there. And so Ninjaber gathers everybody. She puts on particular kinds of mourning clothing and bangs the drum to tell everybody, hey, our beloved Inanna is down there and we need to help bring her back. And so she goes and she goes to the, the fathers and she gets help. And one of the fathers offers her the allies. And the allies, he gives them the food of life and the water of life. And he sends them down. Sends them down through the underworld, and there they offer uh, the queen of the underworld some compassion because she's down there eating dirt. You know, she's queen of the underworld. And she's like, wow, I kind of like this compassion. Like, I'm going to give you something. Let me give you the water of the, of the tigress. And they're like, no, we don't, we don't want that. And she says, well, what? What can I give you? And the allies say, we want the corpse of Inanna. And so the guards take the corpse of Inanna off the hook but you have to understand, she's been hanging on the hook for three days. She doesn't look very good. You could say it looks a little bit like postpartum. You know, she's disheveled. She hasn't showered. You know, she's got sweat and blood and milk dripping from various different parts of her body. And that's, that's deceiving because the external is not addressing what's happening internally. When we're goo. hanging on the hook, we're the goo phase. Exactly. <laughs> Do I get we're a star? Full <laughs> circle <laughs> here. When we're on That's the amazing. hook, we're goo. Ah! We're in the goo phase. Yeah. And we need some support to help mm -hmm. us refigure. And that's where the allies come in. And they give the food of life, which you could say is like the physical sustenance, those things that help us like somebody to bring us food. Oh, my God. My girlfriend's brought me Jones on 3rd, and it was amazing. <gasps> right? So th that's the physical sustenance, the food, laundry, somebody to do your laundry because there's an oh my God. ending amount of laundry. Really fast. Yes. And I'm not going to talk about my mom because I told you before. I was like, I can't. I, my mom and I are going to place right now, but I got to be careful what I say. Um, the day she left, she said, you got a lot of laundry. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Yeah, I've got a lot of laundry. There's so much laundry. Bye. Like, yeah, I've got a lot of laundry. And? <laughs> right. It's oh, like, my God. And the things that help bring us back to life are the food of life items, like actual meals, cleaning, uh, somebody to do the laundry, somebody to, you know— I don't know do why shopping. I didn't get a postpartum yeah. All of that, that right. Those are some of the yeah. physical. And then we also need the water of life things, which are the emotional sustenance. Mm -hmm. Somebody to say, hey, how are you doing? 
Let's talk. Tell me about your experience. Tell me about what happened to you during your birth process. Give me a few more of those because we're always looking for like, what can we say? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think I'm probably not the only listener thinking like, okay, but we don't want to be that nurse who said, touch your baby. So how do we bring you back to this planet without causing the trauma by making you feel like you're not doing something right? So you do it by getting curious and staying present. So being in the place where you're with that new parent and you're asking them, tell me about what happened to you, which is not the same thing as tell me about the timeline. You know, mm-hmm. Tell me a moment when you felt really powerful. Tell me a moment when, when it was really hard and how you kept going. Because that's the, that key piece is we hit those moments, those gates, if we're referring back to the Anana story, we hit those gates that are hard. But we have to keep going. So what helped you keep going? That's, those are questions that are going to help. Like, okay, so, so the nurse said, you know, touch your baby. You know, how did you keep going after that surprised you? Because we want to find out that moment. Like what propelled you to keep going, to get past that, or to, to do the next thing that was needed. Because that helps to teach us a little bit about ourselves and reinforces the resilient part, not the just the victim part, right, of I'm, what I'm happened. struggling right now because what I'm thinking about with Eliza's birth, there were moments where it almost felt like my passivity was what was allowing the journey to continue. Mm. And I'm feeling this weird push-pull thing about, like, was it acceptance or was it freeze? Where Mm -hmm. it was almost like I was able to have this super fast birth because at certain points I was very vocal and I'd be like, please be quiet. And I'd ask for what I needed and I very much got this, like, tiger thing going which I don't usually access but when I think about the super super intense moments it's like almost giving up my body to this other thing and I guess I am having a little bit of self-judgment about was I able to do this because I was moving forward or was able to do this because I kind of turned in at certain points turned into like a possum and just laid there and like let it overcome me. Yeah. And and so I would ask you, so so what happened for you? What what was that moment of transformation like for you? What was it was what was it like to shift into a place of passivity? Because sometimes being Surrender is a, you know, surrendering is a big part of what happens. And it's not a part of a value that is, is uh, held in this culture. Can we talk about that for At a moment? Yes. Because a I'd lot, love to. especially with interventions, mm-hmm. there are a lot of mothers who end up with interventions and they feel like their power has been stripped away because they've needed to surrender. So give us a pep talk about surrender. Okay. <laughs> so there's a couple of different things. First is, 
I'm not going to take away whatever their experience was. So if they feel like their power was taken away, I'm not going to tell them it was otherwise. I think that it's really important to listen and hear, okay, if you're feeling like your power was stripped away, your power, that that's your experience. I mean, there's things we can do with that. But in terms of surrender, I think there's a lot of different ideas around surrender. And surrender is a tricky one because we're, I'm not talking about surrendering to um, uh, forces happening on you by others and, and removing informed consent and refusal. We, we, there is a need to have informed consent and refusal in our culture, and it isn't being respected as much as it should be in our birth culture. Let me start by just saying that yeah. piece, okay? Um, and surrender to what is happening is another piece. So surrendering to the process of your birth experience surrendering to the process of what's happening in, in postpartum or in parenthood. Um, that, that's a different kind of thing. And surrendering, that letting go, is, is that journey of Inanna where stuff is stripped away that we might think we need. But in letting it go, it may actually be the thing we need to continue. So surrender, surrendering to our unique path, is what I would call a part of surrender. So surrendering, one of the hardest surrenders in, in this current birth climate is the, the surrendering to the ideal image of my birth that I have mm-hmm. prepped and, and lit candles over and, ex, you know, done affirmations for nine months to prepare for. That if that image is popped, which it usually is because Control and certainty are illusions. And we aren't used to having that confronted like it is in parenthood. And the beginning of that is often in pregnancy or at least in labor. Mm -hmm. We are confronted with, wow, I can't know everything about anything. And... And I don't have control over it. It just made me so sad because I was thinking about all the – like the – so many women experiencing infertility and also adoption and how they are dealing with that. They are confronted with that in such a huge way that's not recognized very yes. often. Yes. And that is a huge part of the process for some people – toward parenthood is like um, often the parents that come to my class who have had a long fertility process, they they are in a different place in the relationship to control uncertainty because they've already been initiated through that yes, process. or pregnancy loss. Yes, and pregnancy loss. They've already been initiated through that experience. And so it they come in with a little bit of a different relationship to – to it and mm-hmm. parents, and and it's not always the case. But then there's also the parents who everything has gone perfectly well, right? perfectly well, and oh, they just they were blessed or got mm-hmm. super lucky or I don't even know what happened, and everything works perfectly all the way through labor through birth. Sometimes I wonder if they have had a full initiation. Because, Ooh, talk more about that because. 
parenthood brings you to your knees. It brings you to your knees at some point. It's we don't get to to control all the events because now you have another human and you don't get to control another human. You know, we are in the dance of of this. And there's a there's a quote by a theologian that I love that says um uh that parenthood is about the openness to the unbidden. So unbidden, meaning those things which we do not plan for or choose. And parenthood is is that we choose our partners, we we choose our careers usually, we ch- choose our friends. You know, we have all these things that we have this relationship of choice. But parenthood is is this this journey of the un- unbidden of being learning to be open to the unbidden and i think think the process of getting to parenthood teaches us some of how to do that how do we surrender which was part of your question how do we surrender to that which we did not choose or expect and keep going anyway so when 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 I talk about initiation, initiation, remember, if we think back to the rite mm-hmm. of passage part of the conversation, there's an ordeal. Yeah. And that ordeal helps us uh, remake ourselves into something new. That that's, an, that's a fundamental part of the initiation process. And if we don't have that, if we don't have that or we don't have a lens for that, we can come out kind of righteous, mm-hmm. like, oh, I've figured mm-hmm. it out. Mm-hmm. I've got the method. I've got the recipe for control. And most of us know people who can dance in the, the righteous parenting side of things mm-hmm. and say, oh, I've figured it out. What you need to do is, you know, which then is a setup for disappointment because there isn't a formula. There's not. And so we need each person has their own initiation and it will happen at some point. Yeah. I had a, a client many, you're many years. Come up and stay you're going to get your come up. And <laughs> I had a I had a client many, many years ago. Uh, she's since taken my my childbirth class multiple times, but she, she has three kids now. But she took it the first time and she was like, oh, I had a great birth. I got everything mm-hmm. that I wanted. You know, I all that stuff we did in class was great, Britta, but I really got the birth I wanted. And I was like, awesome. I'm so happy for you that you got that. And then she had breastfeeding challenges. Mm-hmm. And it brought her to her knees. And it, it really – and she came back and she was like, now everything you did really made sense. Ugh. Because I'm understanding the part of this process of parenthood that – is testing me to to remake me into somebody that my kids need me to be for them. But wow, you know, I, I kind of like just the easy breezy, everything went great. But right. but the breastfeeding actually is what was her transformative experience so that she could really arrive and be the parent that she needed to be. And then she had two other very different experiences birthing her other two children and and nursing her other children. It was like they she didn't get the same initiation mm-hmm. process. She didn't face the same ordeal. And each we don't time. get to choose our ordeal. We don't get to okay, choose. Okay, so let's go back to our girlfriend on the hook. Oh yes, we've left her on the hook, so she's now received. <laughs> I love that you play along with me. It's 
awesome. So so she's she's getting her food of life yes. and she's getting her water of life. Okay. That emotional support, those those words, those questions, that engagement, somebody to rub her feet, you know, oh. or to hold her baby while she showers. Yeah. You know, like getting a shower is emotional sustenance as a new parent. It's like or sleep. Somebody to take care of the baby so you can take a nap. You know, those are things that help bring us back to life. And so Inanna gets some of those things and she returns, she comes back to life. But just like the butterfly, she doesn't just suddenly reappear in her normal life. She has to go back up through the underworld labyrinth and reintegrate with who she was on the journey down. The parts mm. of her that she mm-hmm. stripped away, mm-hmm. she now has to pick them back up. So, thank y'all. This is better than Oprah Super Soul Sunday. I'm just <laughs> saying it right here, right now. This is this is better. And that's pretty great. This is better. I'm You're getting awesome. competitive. Thank you. <laughs> with Oprah I feel now. very honored. Sorry, okay, just wait. Laughed so into your ears. The reintegration. Yes, because so that ah, this is the weaving piece. Yeah. that we talked about at the beginning. This is the there's like all these threads dangling down from the upper world self, like the. Who you used to be, you know, that social self, shall we say, Yes. right? The above world self. And now you have this experience of the underworld self, this part that has been hard and dark, right? We talked about that. And as you start to go back up, there's these threads and then there's all these threads from the underworld and from the upper world and you weave. It's kind of like we, uh, going back to that episode uh, with Barry Michaels, actually, about my birth. This is what's so crazy to me when it all comes together, right? Talk about integration. Uh, about It was also about the shadow self. Yeah. So Beautiful. I'm assuming the underworld is also a lot of like our shadow self. Yeah, it's shadow self. It's parts of us that Earth we mean. may not know are there, right? It's that unconscious. It's also that in, in the way that I use the story is that experience of being stripped away to something that's bare and then saying, okay, now I've had this experience. So there's all these threads in your mm-hmm. new tapestry that come from this experience. Yes. Right? And in the early postpartum. The alchemy of it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And in that early postpartum period, like your tapestry is full of those colors. It's like that's all it is. It's like it's hard to remember uh, the colors from the above world, because we're so focused on the birth, the baby, our healing. It's like those dominate. Mm -hmm. And often new parents get scared that they're never going to have the colors that they were before. Mm -hmm. Right. But those threads are still there. We just have to pick them back up and trust that, that while we're weaving, we're weaving it's it's a journey of of ascending. You have to ascend back up and it's going to take time. You're going to be letting parts go, dropping the threads of the underworld and picking up threads of our former self. And then there's and that's that's a process. I mean, I I in the mother circles that I run, we talk about finding your your intuition, connecting in with your own wisdom. You know, because it's so easy to go straight to Dr. Google for, right. you know, every answer to everything. And how do we connect in with our mother intuition? Like that's a thread of coming together. Um, our bodies, 
you know, and healing our bodies and coming back into our bodies now that they have been changed because they're changed. And and who are, you know, what what is this belly now that it has has birthed and and held a, a baby, raised a baby inside? Who are these breasts? What about this butt? You know, these different parts of us, even our hair is changed. It's falling out in chunks, folks. Right. It, <laughs> Mine is. It falls out in postpartum chunks. You know, our skin, all these things that we need to reconnect with, like that's that's a thread that we come back to. And, you know, intimate relationships with our partners, that piece. Well, we got to talk about that for that a one. Yeah. yeah. I need some advice one. there. But Happy really to talk fast. about that. While we're in the un- – talking <laughs> about the underworld and coming back out, right? Coming back out. A lot of us are afraid of going back down into the underworld yeah. because, you know, because we know there's going to be another challenge that we don't get to choose. And so this listener, Glenn, he's a daddy – He wrote me on Instagram, and I'd love your help with this one. He said, My wife went through severe postpartum depression following the birth of our first child. We both eventually want a second, but are terrified of a PPD recurrence, wondering if others have faced the same situation, whether they had or did not have a second, and their experience. So, Britta, what do you say to mothers who come to you that have gone into the underworld and it was more than they could bear you know, because of hormones, because of, you know, early childhood trauma, whatever might be stirring up the postpartum depression. And they finally, they get back into the light and they're, they want another child, but they're scared. What's your advice for them? Yeah. I mean, there's one is I don't think anybody can tell them which is the right answer. One of the things in our culture is we want we want an answer. We want that certainty. And so we go looking for experiences. Tell me what yours was like. Tell me what was yours was like. And so we get into that place of somebody's going to have the answer for me. When in fact there's there aren't answers. Don't say that. People stop listening to the podcast. I, well, <laughs> but part of I'm what kidding, we're I'm doing kidding. is exploring, yes. right? And and ex- exploring and asking questions is part of that journey. And getting advice is helpful. Yes. But it doesn't mean it's going to answer it for you. That's part of that developing the but intuition. It's so annoying that we have to. Like, oh, it's so annoying. We have to do our own work. I know. We do have to do our own work and listen and, to the intuition, which is hard because sometimes we've been listening to like lies. Yeah. For years. Yeah. Well, like, sometimes the voices in our head are not our intuition, folks. No, they're not. They're not always trustable. <laughs> for sure. No. But our intuition might be one that says, ask more people what they've done. The intuition can actually guide us to ask good questions. That that can be a helpful thing. And so what what your listener wrote is, you know, okay, what what can we do? And how, you know, is this something to find out? Have people done this? And I would say that the n- number one thing I would say is if somebody decides to have another child after having a very challenging, dark experience is to really take time, if I'm going to refer back to the Inanna story because we've already addressed it, take time in the preparation phase, in the phase of getting Ninja Burr to watch out for you. You Who, Mm -hmm. Who do you have rallying, you know? One of the things that's really tricky in a first journey with with any kind of postpartum mood challenge 
is not knowing it's happening, mm-hmm. not understanding it, not having it make sense. Because it doesn't make rational sense because it's not happening on a rational plane. It's happening someplace very deep. And so to be able to know from the rational part of your brain, which is in the pre part of the journey, so before you've descended, Mm -hmm. to say, what am I going to need to help make sure I can climb out? Like, to almost go back into it and say, okay, if postpartum depression were to happen again, what would I do differently this time? How might, like, like actually put yourself in that experience and then find your tools. Find your tools. Find your team Get them armed to support you. That, I think, is really important. You know, we talk in, a lot in our culture about being fearless, you know, be, fearless birth and be, mm-hmm. be fearless and, and, and heading into, right? I know, I, it, it just doesn't work for yeah. me because no. I actually think that no. fear teaches us something. Yeah. And so this listener, that fear that he's having in that place of, wow, what do we do? That fear, he doesn't need to get to a place where he's fearless. But he can use the fear to inform his actions, to prepare. That's what fear is meant to do for us, is to bring us to awareness. Like, what do we do? How do we deal with this? So use that fear. And then once you have used the fear you be brave. One of the things I like to say is, is birth doesn't ask us to be fearless. It asks us to be brave. And that's a very different kind of thing. So that's, that's kind of, I don't know, that's a quick response. No, that's beautiful. Thank you. Let's quickly, because we're running out of time as always, let's talk about C-sections and about healing after them. I'm sure you have a lot of mothers that come in who've had. Well, do you do VBACs? Uh, when you say do VBACs, I mean, <laughs> Sorry, I mean, no, I'm not. No, do, do, like, do mothers come in who have had C sections who uh, are hoping to experience a vaginal birth? Yes, yes, and I, I have a class that's a birthing again class, and that's a place where. You know, we would go through some of that. I also have a cesarean healing workshop that I do a couple of times a year. And, I mean, it's a hard one to talk about in terms of uh, what you can do via, you know, podcast land. Right. As opposed to the – because it's an intimate process. You know, when you're healing from something that was unexpected and may have elements of of um, emotional trauma attached to it, it isn't the easiest thing to talk about in terms of like a quick fix. We like quick fixes. We want to know the answer, how to make it work. Right. And and it's more complex. We want the four hour work week. We do. We, we want just, the four hour work week. The four minute workout. The, you know whatever it is. When something of of that depth of importance, it often requires you know some one on one or some small group. And, and some unpacking and, and looking at the experience in a new way, exploring it. Now, a lot of the work that I do around cesarean, I do prenatally before a first birth so that there's an idea of what, again, going back to some of what we've already talked about, what would I do if I had a cesarean? 
how would I have a cesarean uh, that I that I still felt uh, in the moment with, and that I had an awareness that I was present. How can I bring all of my intentions for my birth to my experience of birthing surgically? Not just not not just uh, throw those out if if a if a surgical birth or cesarean birth became important for whatever reason, we often get very goal fixated. You know, mm-hmm. it's we we like these binary boxes. I had a natural birth or I had a medicated birth or I had a surgical birth or, you know, I had a C-section or I had this. And we want to know what box to put it in. And we want to say often going in, we're like, I'm going to have a natural birth, meaning unmedicated, right? For most people, that's what that means. Um, and instead being in that, that that's a goal focused where it's measurable, mm-hmm. As opposed to, I want to be present with myself, or I want to um, feel uh, powerful. Like you can still feel powerful giving birth by cesarean. Now, if if it has, if it's after the fact, and a cesarean has happened, and it was, um, it felt disempowering, or was was traumatic in some way. Um, it's often really good to get some help to to have somebody personal to to work with. There, there's a whole group of people um, that are trained to do something called birth story listening. And if you find somebody in your area that can do birth story listening or birth story medicine, those are the two terms that it goes by. Um, that can be a really great place to unpack it with somebody who's been trained to be with that. Uh, be with parents as they unpack that because it's a it, it is that individual place. Um, when I and that's part of what I do in my circles is when I do the cesarean healing work is to talk really specifically about that and to uh, I use the the labyrinth as a metaphor and we we remap the experience mm. of what happened through the labyrinth rather than through a timeline. That oh this happened and then that happened. It's like okay, where where's the place that you trip as you go through the labyrinth? What's that? And then let's and I use I mean I'm again metaphor and props and we've talked about all those things. So I also have little beads and trinkets and feathers and various different things that people can symbolize in their journey where those pieces are and. Take take a moment and look at each of them and say, "Am I done with this one? Am I ready to oh, let that go?" Wow. Or am I? Is this one still something I need to hold on to and look at more carefully? So we'll pull those out and then explore them and look at them and write about them and talk about them as symbolic representations, which can help to create just a little bit of that distance between it being so painful. Mm-hmm. And being something we can investigate or explore and unpack together. So that's kind of a so cool, very so cool, brief description. So of cool, that. but it's again, it's hard to do right. without. Well, it's all theoretical. Like, right, right, right. That is so cool, though. Thank you. I'm glad you like that. <laughs> also, everyone stalk Britta's Instagram <laughs> because I think I saw a photo yeah. of your bag of tricks. I do have quite the bag of tricks. I have lots of. Tricks. Oh my gosh. And, and mine is, and it's very, um, yes, all uh, lots of costumes, lots of props, lots of uh, what I call 
called teaching tools or teaching toys because I think they're sometimes toys. And it sounds a little sexual, but okay. Oh, you're right. It kind of does. No, I don't know. It's like, oh, a, maybe yeah, not. No, it does. Yes. <laughs> well, but in that place of, I mean, we're becoming parents when you work yeah. with parents. Um, I sometimes like to demystify the idea that I have an altar in the center of my mm. class because, uh, hello, if you're becoming a parent, toys on the floor is going to become part of your reality. Yes. And so they're my they're my toys, my toys. that that each one has a reason and a purpose mm-hmm. and they're like talismans. Oh, and they just we talk about them. I, I use them. They're props, and I have lots of little mythology pieces down there that pop up in different ways. And I just think that's a engaging way to work with people. Tactile, yeah, tactile, visual, and it's it's got a different old brain way that uh, mm-hmm. bypasses the whole up. Uh, you know, PowerPoint way of right. teaching. Or like taking notes or, yeah. Right. It moves into a different place that is actually what part of us we access in labor, in birth, and in postpartum. Right. That reptilian Absolutely. side. Absolutely. Exactly. It's the old brain part as opposed to the neocortex, which is very comfortable with PowerPoints. Mm-hmm. But storytelling, metaphor, props and toys, that's that old That is so cool. Brain. That's why I w- this sounds insane, but I would uh, wear eye masks. I did that with both births accidentally. I just brought them for the hospital, and I was like, I don't want to see anybody's face. And that was so helpful because, I, again, that's going back to the reptilian brain because I'm not sort of like my eyes aren't darting around. Yes. You know. Yes. I, and, to help and me relax. There's a lot of reasons for that, and I sometimes talk about I talk about this in relation to the Greek uh, twin twins, Artemis and Apollo. And Apollo is very cultured and the sun and just, you know, time and order. And Artemis is the forest and outside of civilization. And she's close to the animals and nature. And she's sometimes referred to as the goddess of the moon. Childbirth needs a lot of Artemis. A I, lot I of just made, you made, And there's so much. Daughter. Those are two of my favorite things to talk about, but we didn't okay. really go into them. <laughs> uh, another time, for sure. Yes. I, Artemis sounds like Sabrina, mm. my four-year-old. Uh, anyway, okay, so we're going to make this a two-part episode, and we are going to delve more into how to reconnect with our partners and find intimacy Again, uh, I kind of wanted to be like, because I have a six-month-old and I'm just not interested. And Britta's going to give us a pep talk about how to get interested again and, you know, um, reclaim our relationships. So go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss it. If you have an iPhone, uh, you already have a podcast app already on your iPhone. So just find Atomic Moms and hit subscribe and you can get a notification when a new episode releases, just like a friendly little Tuesday reminder. So next week, I've got an interview with the experts behind a new book that's coming out called The Self-Driven Child. The Self-Driven Child, the science and sense of giving your kids more control over their lives. Who doesn't want a self-driven child? Uh, who doesn't want to have to nag and nag and nag and nag about their kids getting their homework done? Uh, I'm sure a lot of you are saying, me, um, you know, we're going to be talking about ADHD and sort of the struggle there and 
suggestions they have with that. And also on the other end of the spectrum, the perfectionists that are up all night working uh, because they're trying so hard to, you know, get straight A's and they're on the verge of a nervous breakdown. So we're talking about it all. We're talking brain science, behavioral therapy, the stress and anxiety that our kids are dealing with these days, and practical advice we can bring into our homes. Uh, all right. So connect with me on social media, on Instagram and Twitter at Atomic Moms. Our Facebook page is also uh, you can go to like facebook.com backslash Atomic Moms podcast. And then uh, we have a private little group. So if you want to commiserate about like, why aren't I just a freaking butterfly yet? Uh, go commiserate on our private page, you know, so that uh, your boyfriend from high school doesn't have to read it because it's a private page. <laughs> so share this podcast with friends. Uh, thank you guys so much for helping spread the word. It's not possible to do this without you all. And we do it all for you all. So this episode was produced, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Ellie Noss. Original composition by Jeremy Turner. Sound engineering by Owen O'Neill. Uh, special thanks to my four-year-old for giving me the beginnings of this cold. And uh, I'll see y'all next week. Trust in your goodness. Live out your greatness. Rock on, Atomic Moms. 